We're going to read from Nehemiah chapter nine this morning. And then we're going to, we're going to read verses one through five. We're going to skip down to verse 38 just to get a picture of what's happening now. We're at the end of, towards the end of the story, Nehemiah and the people have built the wall. We talked about that last week. It was a miraculous thing that happened. They used essentially unskilled labor to build a giant wall in 52 days. So now we're on the other side of that. And we're going to see the response to God's goodness to those people. So Nehemiah chapter nine, verse one, why don't you stand to your feet in honor of the word? You can find it on the screen or uh, in your Hope Community Church app or the Bible app on your phone. Um, or if you brought your paper Bible with you, you can find it there as well. So Nehemiah chapter nine, verse one, say amen if you're ready. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worship to the Lord, their God. So for half the day, they're having a church service. Amen. Everybody's like, oh, dear God, don't, don't. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chenani. And they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Padahiah. I practiced those over and over and over again. So all these priests, all these Levites, they said, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Then verse 38, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness to us. Lord, we are a blessed people. Beyond what we even realize, we're a blessed people. So God, we pray that the blessing in our life would, would result in us turning to, towards you. Cause that to happen today, Lord, a great turning in your direction for relationship. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Nehemiah has had a successful campaign to rebuild the wall. He had been under extreme opposition from day one. Before he even arrives in Jerusalem, he's met by Sambalot and Tobiah. And, and they're questioning his motives. He goes into Jerusalem. He proclaims what what is what God's goal is and his goal in the city is and he's met again by opposition they claim that he's in in rebellion against the king um, if you read the story further uh, during the construction of the wall they have to they have to arm themselves to be safe there's a plot to get Nehemiah to come out and and meet with them to kill him they, uh, this is this has been dangerous 
This has not been an easy process. Sometimes the grace of God in our lives is not that it's easy, but it's short. Uh, Don't get freaked out too much about the season you're in because the grace of God could allow you to walk through a difficult season, but he is gracious enough to put a timeline on that difficult season. Amen? So as difficult as it was, it was also short, 52 days. So they finished the wall, and in response to finishing the wall, Ezra comes, the priest, and he starts to read from the law for a long time, a quarter of the day. So verse, in chapter 7 of Nehemiah, Ezra reads from the book of the law from early morning till midday. And then verse 8 of chapter 7 says this, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Now, you know, you know that's, it's, it's extremely important before we get into anything else that you don't just read the Bible, but you understand it. It's like, if you didn't, it would be like reading an Ikea manual. Everybody's like, I don't even understand what's going on. Like, how does this apply to my life? I've got a truckload of parts that don't go together and you gave me this manual, I don't understand any of it. And so sometimes we read the Bible, sometimes you can read the Bible in a translation that you'll never understand. That's just the truth of the matter. I don't know anybody that still speaks the King's English around here. So why would you force yourself to read the King James Version of the Bible? Now let me, let me clarify a couple things. There's... There's formal um, translations of the Bible, and then there's what's called functional translations of the Bible. So I would pick a functional translation of the Bible to read throughout the week. You can, you can read a translation that is very easy to understand. That's a good thing. Because understanding it gives you the ability to then apply it to your life. Amen? And that's the goal. So we're reading in Nehemiah. We're reading that Ezra comes and reads the law, but then this whole crowd of people, there's priests distributed throughout the, that are explaining it to the people, that are interpreting it for the people, that are making sure it's in something, they, making sure it's a way they can understand. And so read the Bible, but read a, read a translation of it that you can understand. It's pointless to read something that you can't understand. So I've read the Bible all year. Well, how much of it did you apply? Not much. Didn't understand it. So it's important. The, the versions like the NIV, like the Living Bible, like the, there's enough out there. Come on, we're in America. All you got to do is pull it up your phone, find one that you understand. Amen? No excuse. If you're going to study the Bible, if you're going to pick it apart word for word, if you're going to do a study, then pick a translation that is that is. Um, formal, that is extremely accurate, that, that you're, you're going to get the gist of it in a functional translation, but to study it, you want to use something like, like the ESV or, or something like that, where it's an accurate translation, kind of word for word thing. So we don't want to skip over the point that they understood what was being read to them. And then if you move on to verse 12 of that same chapter, it says, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words. Do you know how important that is? It said they, their response to the law being read was good because they understood it. 
<laughs> if any of you ever told your kids something and, they, and their response wasn't great, maybe it's because they didn't understand it. I remember, and I have done this to my kids, I don't need to give you a reason. You just do what I say. Some of you are laughing, some of you are ashamed. I can't tell which, can't tell which is which. I remember, aren't you thankful that God wants us to understand? Now, I'm not saying we can understand everything, but he wants us to understand enough to move. He wants us to understand enough to act. He wants us to understand enough to have relationship. Amen? And what you saw in the people in Jerusalem was once they heard the law and it was, and it was explained and they understood it, it, it transformed them into re- people that were rejoicing, people that were glad, that were happy about it. And so sometimes, sometimes even in church, you find people that are dismayed about life, not because they don't know the Bible, because they don't understand it. So, so pray for understanding. Keep praying. Lord, help me understand this thing. This doesn't make sense to me or anybody else around me, but I know it's your word to me. By the way, calculus doesn't have to make sense for me to understand it. Amen. I still don't understand math with numbers in it. It's just, still don't, it doesn't make sense to me, but you can understand the formula. Maybe that's algebra. Did I just... Just math with letters. That's what it is. The numbers things get me too. When the people associated the great thing that God had done with God's commands for how to live, it resulted in their lives turning towards him. When they heard the law of God and they understood it, it resulted in confession of sin. Okay, now, there's something about Nehemiah you have to understand the whole book. If you look at, if you look at the way it's framed, the beginning of this story starts with confession. Nehemiah hears from his brother the report, and he is so dismayed that he goes into days of fasting and prayer and prays confession, not only for himself, we talked about that the first week, not only for himself, but for his ancestors, but we, we all blew this, Lord. So he's realizing the blessing of God on his life. He understands what needs to be done. And what does it do? It turns him towards God in an act of confession. So now the wall is built. The grace of God has been poured out on the people. And now they read the law and they understand it. And what does it do? It turns them right back to confession. It turns them towards relationship. So I need, to under, I need you to understand this. The story of Nehemiah is not about a wall. It's not about a wall. But man, we've made it about a wall so much. Like, build your wall. You know, you got something tough to do. God's called you to do something. You need to build a wall. You need to. It's not about a wall. It would be a much easier story if it was just about a wall. It's about a relationship with God. And so when we make the story about a wall and difficulty in life and all those things, then we diminish what God was actually trying to do with those people. Because the end game for God was not just to have a wall. He could have gotten foreigners to build a wall. 
That's not in the same context as it is now. So nobody can, what's he saying? That's, he could have gotten people outside of Israel. He could have gotten anybody he wanted to to build a wall, but he wanted to do the miracle through them so that it would draw them into relationship with him. They were his people. It's not about a wall. As soon as we make our relationship with God about something that we're building here, something that we're doing here, it diminishes it. Yes, the wall was a necessary part of the process, but it wasn't it wasn't the end result of the process. It wasn't, God wasn't just in heaven going, man, look at that wall. Matter of fact, God had people build stuff a lot to represent his presence with them. When he led the children of Israel out of, the wilderness, or out, of the, out of Egypt, he had them build a thing called a tabernacle. It was basically a big tent. It was basically a big tent where where his presence dwelled there. It wasn't about the tent. It was about the relationship. Amen? Come on now. Plenty of you have been in houses where the relationship wasn't good. It ain't about the house. Then he allows Solomon to build a temple in a permanent place, but it still wasn't about the building. It was still about God's presence with the people. It was still about a relationship. God allows us to build buildings today. Amen? So we got this great building. It ain't about this building. And when churches end up making it about the building, they always neglect the relationship. And they start saying, like, don't bring your coffee in here. These chairs cost a lot of money. God's like, I don't care. I mean, I think he cares about the chairs a little. He likes them being multicolored, I think. Yeah. He likes that. He likes them straight too. I found that out. God says, straighten up. He said, make the chairs straight first. It's not about, it's not about this. And when we start making it about this, we start getting weird with each other. We start getting all off on different things that, that, that isn't the focus of God's attention on us. He said, yeah, build the building. That's fine. Build the wall. I want you to build the wall. The wall is going to serve a purpose, but it's not about the wall or the building. It's about your relationship with me. And I'll do the miracle through the building to prove to you that I am who I said I was so that you, then you would come to me. So build the wall in 52 days. I'll prove to you that I'm God. I don't, I, but I don't want you to take that for granted at the end of the 52 days. Build a church building. Do it in a miraculous way. And I'll, I'll prove to you that I'm God through the process, but the process is to get you to the place of relationship. It's not about the building. It's not about the temple. It's not about the wall. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about, it's about God and us. And it's about God's desire to dwell with us. That's why he told Moses, build a tent and I'll come stay with you. He told Saul, build a temple and I'll come stay with you. Now, the benefit we have is we could meet outside in the pouring rain and he said he'd be with us. I have no desire to do that, by the way. But we could. Now, it's all about relationship. Matter of fact, it's, in, it's all about relationship so much that, that he, said, he said, I'll send the Holy Spirit and I'll dwell in you. So, so now, now we understand it's not about walls and buildings. It's about 
him with us. That's, that's his, that's his goal. That's his, that's his objective every time. The wall alone was not enough to establish a God honoring society. Building the wall would not, would not make people serve God, would not cause people to love God more. Just the wall in and of itself. I'm going to say this is going to sound a little bit controversial, but the blessing of God is not enough in your life. The blessing of God, look at your neighbor and say it's not enough. The blessing of God is not enough. Because here's what the West has done. Here's what the, the and, and, and if you've been coming here any length of time, you know I despise prosperity gospel. This idea that you can do two or three things and God just plants a money tree in your backyard and you're just like pouring it out. Look at me. Look at all I got. I've been, how'd you get that? Oh, I've been serving God, man. I've been, I've been doing everything he wants. No, you haven't. None of us have. So what happens is, Because we're so familiar with that philosophy, we start believing that the blessing of God on our life indicates right living. (laughs) Here's the trouble with that. I know a bunch of people that never darken the door of a church, never do anything right, never, never even try not to sin, that are filthy rich. Because there are financial principles outside the kingdom of God that can make you rich, that can make you healthy, that can make you everything that we long to be. And what the church did is we said, oh, but the blessing of God indicates that we're doing it right. Look at how we're living and how we're living determines how much God blesses us. Now, I know, I know you live right and you reap the rewards of living right. I get it. That is true. But don't for a second think you live right enough for God to, for God to say they're right and now I've got to do something for them. Paul addresses that in Ephesians. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. What was that big word at the beginning? Grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the what? Gift of God. Gift of God. Look at your neighbor and say, it, 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 it ended up being a gift. Ended up being a gift. And, and if you're brave enough, tell them you, you weren't that good. You got a bigger Christmas gift than you deserve. You ever, you ever been, you remember being a kid and you went over to your cousin's house and you knew your cousin was a little dirt bag and you thought, and you thought, I don't understand how their parents gave them so much for Christmas. I've been over here living right the whole year and my parents didn't give me anything. You remember those days? My cousin, you're like, my cousin picked on me for 12 months and his parents gave him a bike for Christmas. We start to get in that competition. James talks about it. I want what you got. Back. Maybe. Here we go. I think it's coming back on. Can you hear me? You can settle down on the camera. There's no, there's no uh, online church anymore. The issue is, is that 
The blessing of God is simply because God is good. It's the grace of God that saved us. Through faith, the only part that we played in it was had enough faith that he could save us. That's it. All he said is, if you believe in me, then I can save you. And so it's the grace of God. So what the, what we did in the American church is we said, well, we're being blessed. So that means we must deserve it. We've lived right enough for then God to bless us. And then we started basing it all on, well, I've done enough right things. So he has to bless me. And that's where the, 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 you didn't know I could be that loud. That's where the philosophy comes from. We're shocked when we, it doesn't seem like we're blessed. Think about it. When we go through a season in life where we don't experience the just massive outpouring of God's blessing, we start asking questions. Well, why is this happening? Where's God? What's going on? I don't understand. I don't, if we came at it from the perspective, it was by his grace in the first place. It was solely by his grace in the first place. The truth of the matter is the Jewish people in Jerusalem hadn't done anything up to this point to deserve him building the wall. They would go back and forth, back and forth. There was no consistency whatsoever. No consistency. When I, when my kids were growing up, I used to talk to them. You show me, you show me, you could, you show me, you could do this for a while. uh, Then I'll, then I'll let you have some freedom. You show me you can act right for a while. Then I'll, but God never operates like that with us. He builds the wall and then we repent. Think about it. I'm going to show you how this works. There's a pattern we have to pay attention to. I stop basing my life off of one scripture. I start basing my life off of patterns you find in the Bible. If I can see it from the beginning to the end, it's probably 100% true. You can't take a pattern out of context when you see it through the whole Bible. You can take one or two verses out of context. So this is a pattern you see all through scripture. All through scripture. You can even go back all the way to the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. He created a garden and put Adam and Eve into it. What in the world did they ever do to deserve to live in a place that nice? Nothing. But the pattern was God blessed them. They screwed it up. And then he redeemed everybody after that. Sounds like us, doesn't it? So watch what happens. All through scripture you see this. He gives, he rescues the people from Egypt. He rescues the Israelites through Moses, rescues them. So that book is called Exodus. Everybody, everybody heard of that book? Genesis, Exodus. He rescues them from Egypt. He, he provides a way out, miraculous, all the plagues. And Moses leads them out. And Moses got the staff and he splits the water and all this great stuff. The law comes after the rescue. The right living comes after the grace and mercy. That's the way God always operates. If he didn't operate like that, we'd all be dead. 
We'd all be getting what we deserve. But because he's gracious, because he's overflowing with grace and mercy, then he delivers and then he says, now live right. So Leviticus doesn't come before Exodus because how do you, how do you get a people to live right that don't even know what they're, how does that happen? He doesn't say, hey, straighten up in Egypt. I'll think about getting you out. No, he says, I'll show you my grace and mercy and then I'll teach you how to live. I'll show you my miracles and then I want a relationship. I'll show you two instances in the New Testament where this happens. One, it works out the right way. The other one, it doesn't. And I'm going to give you a warning about this. It's the pattern. Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah falls into this pattern. Build the wall and then repent. The miracle and grace and mercy of God and then turn towards God. Watch this, John chapter 8, verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they may have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Nobody knows what he's writing, but it was enough to scare them all. Verse 7, and as he continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote some bad things about all of them. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. You know, I think the older ones left first. They had more to hide. (laughs) They've been at this game a lot longer. The older ones and then starting with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? I need you to think about this. There was a woman caught in a nefarious act brought before Jesus by men who were committing a nefarious act. Remember that whole thing when we talked about the other week, Romans 8, 28, God will work all things together for good. So here's a woman who was caught in sin by by men who were now committing sin. It said the only reason they walked him up to Jesus to even ask him about her was to catch him. God, what are you going to do with this? I'm going to show you grace and mercy in this moment. He gets down. He writes, Johnny, you did this on this date. You did this on, I don't know what he wrote, but I'm just thinking. And they all went, ooh, I'm walking out of here before this gets ugly. And the oldest guy stood up. And in that culture, when the oldest guy stands up, everybody that's under him goes, it's time to leave. And so they all started like, I don't even remember her name. And so they all leave. Jesus looks at her and says, hey, where'd they all go? Is there anyone here to condemn you? And she said, no. The miracle of redemption, the miracle of rescue, and then this. Go from now and sin no more. The blessing of God is an amazing thing, but the blessing of God without us turning towards God for relationship is, is doesn't work out. It's not enough. It's not enough. Here's the proof that it's not enough. There's another story 
about a guy we call the rich young ruler, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As he was setting out on a journey, this is Jesus, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, you can imagine Jesus starting to walk walk away, he's got his stuff packed up, maybe there's a couple people with him, and, and this guy runs up trying to catch him right before he leaves. And knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? But Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, do not defraud. honor your father and mother. And he said to him, you can see the joy coming on this man's face. Oh, I've done all those. I've done all of them. He, he actually tells him, teacher, I have kept all those things from my youth. <laughs> Looking at him, Jesus showed love to him. He's pouring out his grace and mercy right here. He's saying, one thing you lack, come on. One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess, give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus was asking the same thing. He was saying, hey, this is about a relationship. He told the woman caught in adultery, he said, go sin. Come on. Don't do this anymore. It's about a relationship. Don't, don't live like that. You, you, saw, you saw the rescuing power of grace in your life. You saw it happen right in front of you. You were destined to die, but I showed up in your life and rescued you. Now turn towards me. You're not saved because, because you did all these great things. You're saved because he did it. But the response of him saving us is for us to turn towards him. So what happens with the rich young ruler is he's already experienced the unbelievable blessing of God. He was a young man that was rich by all accounts in, in, this, in this life we live. He was blessed, not only blessed financially, but the savior of the world, the creator of all the universe is standing in front of him. And Jesus, out of his grace and mercy, said, hey, listen, I need to be truthful with you. You're not in good relationship. That's the issue. You think you're okay because you're blessed. You think you're okay because you've got enough. You think you're okay because you got position. But here's the issue. That blessing is in now in the way of me and you. My fear is the modern church has let the blessing get in the way of the relationship. We focus so much on the wall that we forgot about the repentance part. We focus so much on the wall building that we forgot about, man, this is about me and him. This is about a relationship. This is about us being close. This is about me spending time with him. This is about, so we just want to bounce from wall to wall to wall. Look what we did. Look what we did. Look what we did. And Jesus himself is looking at the rich young ruler going, hey man, it's not about the blessing in your life. Matter of fact, I'm willing to let you let go of all the blessing in your, in your life if it will cause you to come follow me. Oh. You know what the most tragic verse I believe in the whole Bible is the verse coming up. You couldn't get any more blessed the savior of the world is standing in front of him saying, 
Come on. Come on, just let it go. Come follow me. Let it go and come follow me. And it says, but he was deeply dismayed by these words and he went away grieving. For he was one who was blessed. See, the pattern is that God pours out his grace and mercy on us before we deserve it. But the part of the pattern that's our part is that then we turn towards him in response of him pouring that grace and mercy out. That there's repentance that takes place. Jesus says, Jesus says, I will redeem you. But there's this word we use in the church. We don't use it like outside the church very much. You don't walk up to a friend going, how, how's that sanctification going? No, we use that in the church to be, be, we're becoming more like Christ. We're putting off sin and we're becoming more like Christ. Okay, so, so we use those terms. The issue is God pours out his grace and mercy. He redeems us. It's a gift of God. He does all the work. He secures us. He does all those things. And in response to that, then we turn and we say, Lord, forgive me for what I've done. And by the way, give me the strength and power not to do it again. It's my response to your blessing. Paul would warn us about this in Romans. He said the danger of grace the danger of it, the danger of the blessing and favor of God is that you can think you could go on sinning and keep getting it. And it's just here. And it says, God loves me and it doesn't matter. And he's saying, no, 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 no. It should produce change in your life. Because listen, it's about a relationship. Amen. I have a sneaky little feeling. My wife is in the room, so I got to be careful. I have a sneaky little feeling that when I was, I got married when I was 20 years old. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, that is way too young. <laughs> 20 years old, okay? We didn't have to get married. It wasn't a shotgun thing. It wasn't none of that. But we decided, look, I'm, pr- I'm pretty, full, like, I know what I want. I'm not playing around. Get it done. Move on. We can start this thing early. Get the kids out of the way. <laughs> it worked out, didn't it? I'm 46 years old now, and I would venture to say that my wife would be disappointed if I had the mentality of a 20-year-old right now. But how often does the church accept the blessing of God and never mature into the relationship? Listen, this isn't a you're going to hell sermon. This is God wants more of a relationship with you than we've been willing to give him. He pours it out over and over and over and blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And next thing you know, we're in the relationship for 20 years and we never matured. We're in the relationship for 15 years and it still looks like we're we're still doing this thing like we're dating. Well, I took you out twice and fed you. I should get something for that. All the men just put their head down. You know how that works. We still think we're dating Jesus. We still think we're in that little phase where, look, look, I I paid for the meal. I took you out. I drove. I did all these things. I set it up. I I went out of my way to make this happen. And I took off of work and look at all the sacrifice I've made. And now I should get something for it. And God's saying, if you would mature in the relationship, you'd realize I loved you even if you didn't take me out. 
if you would mature in the relationship, you'd know that everything I walk through, walk you through is for a purpose. Everything is to, is for your good. Everything I do for you is to, is to bless you and keep you and prosper you and to make this gospel go forward. I have your best at heart every time. But the problem is we're so focused on the wall. We're so focused on the blessing. We're so focused on all these things. And he's saying, it's not about that. It's about the relationship. And I think over the last 26 years, I've matured maybe a little, like I'm like, I'm like 30 now. I'm up, I'm up in the thirties. Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter six. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. It's actually ex- exclamation point. By no means. Church, don't let this happen. Don't let the grace of God on your life, don't let your life going so well now that it, that it blocks you from having a relationship with him because the relationship still depends on us repenting. It still depends on us dealing with sin. It still repent, depends on us moving towards him. Will he chase you? Absolutely. But I'm going to tell you something. The, the relationship is no benefit to us if we're running. So he's saying, yeah, we built the wall. That was a big deal. But don't mistake why the wall was built. The wall was built for us to have a relationship. I did that miracle so that I could get closer to you. I did that miracle so you could be closer to me. I did that miracle in your life. I saved you. Not, not just so you could go off and, and just do whatever you want. No, I saved you because, because I want a relationship. Because be, he wants to be close to us. It's the last thing that you read there, verse 38. In the Old Testament, they used to sign covenants with God. They used to, there's several covenants throughout the Old Testament and, and it was a sign that the people had turned towards, like, we're making a covenant with you right now. And so here in Nehemiah, after they build the wall, after they, after they hear the law, after they repent, all that stuff, then they get together and they say, man, we're going to put our name on this. We're going to put our name on a covenant relationship. They sign a, an agreement. This is how we're going to live now moving forward. Now, I know it works a little bit different in this era of grace we're in. We're in a, what, what the Bible calls a new covenant, where Jesus solidified both sides of it. God has in his expectations that we couldn't live up to. And so Jesus came to die for us and to make a way where there wasn't a way before. And he, so it was like God signed both sides of the contract so that it couldn't be broken. Come on, you signed contracts with people that broke them before, right? So now that covenant can't be broken because God signed both of the contract, both sides of it. So he said, in Christ, we are made new. That's why in him, not us, but in him, we are made new. So, so, but here there's still a part for us. And that's this, your, the depth of your relationship with him is determined by how far you will turn towards him. God, as gracious as he is to bless us, he's been exceedingly gracious to give you your own choice. So my prayer this morning is that the miracles he's done in your life, the grace and mercy he's shown you, 
would cause you to covenant with him, to turn back to him, to turn to him and say, Lord, I want this relationship. I want it more than the fancy blessing. I want it more than the car. I want it more than the house. I want it more than the career. I want it more than everything being perfect. I want it more than my, I want it more than everything else. I want you more than everything else. And that's what, that's what the Jerusalem was saying that day. We want you. Thanks for the wall, but we want you. We're willing to repent. We're willing to do whatever we got to do. Thanks for it, but we want you. Can we pray that way this morning? Come on, stand to your feet. I want to give you a moment to make that covenant with him today. I'm not saying sell everything you have. I'm not saying, I'm saying turn. Turn towards him. Recognize the grace and mercy that he's already poured out in your life. Recognize that you're here. Recognize that that he got you this far. And and follow the pattern. He's poured it out. Now turn towards him. Turn towards him. Do that this morning. We can confess our sins to him. He said he's faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. And it makes, then we're right in, in God. We're covered by what Jesus did and we're made right. And so we can enter into that relationship this morning. Amen. Come on, if you close your eyes for a second, maybe none of you, maybe some of you have never done this before. Maybe some of you, you walked in this building for the first time this morning. You've never, you've never been in a relationship with God. You've never known what it was like. You didn't... You didn't even know it was a thing, but today, the God of all the universe, the one that breathed life into us, has given you the grace and mercy to hear that he loves you, and he wants you to be in a relationship with him. He didn't make it complicated. He said, if you believe that Jesus is God and that he died on the cross for you and rose again, and you accept that, and you repent of your sin, if you you confess your sin, I know this is wrong. And I need you to forgive me. He said he will do it every time. And he will bless you beyond. He he said you will inherit eternal life. God wants a relationship with you this morning. I implore you. Christian, if you've just been walking this life without turning to turn towards him this morning. Turn towards him this morning. He wants a deeper relationship than what you've had so far. Father, we thank you for it. God, you have turned towards us over and over and over again, Lord. Now, in response to that, we turn towards you. We confess our sin, and we ask you to forgive us this morning. Change us. Make us more like you, Lord. We want to know you more. We want to hear your word more. We want to know you more. Thank you for this moment we have today. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Come on, could you give him praise for what he's done this morning? Could you give him honor? Thank you, Lord. Hey, listen, greet somebody on the way out. Encourage them. Turn towards him every day this week. And it'll be different. We'll see you back here next week.